We have begun a study in intercessory prayer, the kind of prayer that begs God for on other people's behalf. And there are lots of things to pray about today. Uh, worship team, think you could help me with the lectern? Would you mind bringing that over? Thank you so much. There are lots of things to pray about today. Um, some of you are praying very, very intensely about this little event that's happening tonight in San Francisco. Uh, some of you are praying that the Lions will win the playoffs today. Uh, some of you are praying that the Lions will score the most points. Some of you are praying that the other team will score fewer points than the Lions. I think you maybe catch my drift. Uh, interestingly enough, if you Google prayer for the Detroit Lions, there are actually things that come up. I thought that was fascinating. So we are talking about intercessory prayer and this begging God for other people. And last week, you were challenged to ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to pray this week and to come up with one thing that you are going to specifically focus on interceding for this week? And I would like to have you report for duty. I want to hear from those of you who made that commitment. I want to hear some of, a few of your stories about what happened. What was, what, what was it like for you? What was the process like for you? It can be a happy story. It can be a discouraging story. It can be, but I want to hear from you. I want you to report for duty in this prayer boot camp on what you learned, anything you realized this week. So tell me your reports about your intercessory prayer work this week. Go ahead and lift a hand, and we'll bring the microphone to you. This is accountability right here. Thank you for sharing that. We'll do more, we'll do more next week. We're, um, can, can we save it for next service? Next service next week? Okay, thanks, Dreezy. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, so here's what I want you to know. At the end of the, the message today, there's going to be a similar challenge to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to intercede for this week? What one thing do you want me to focus on? And a challenge to pray for it, but we're going to add a little twist to it. But be thinking about that. This is boot camp. That means that you, are, uh, that you are having an opportunity to grow and stretch, and it might be painful, okay? So just letting you know. Okay, here's what's coming. Reporting for duty. We're talking about reporting for duty, which is about showing up. It's about showing up to pray, about showing up, being ready and available to fulfill your responsibilities. And when it comes to intercessory prayer, showing up is half the battle, simply starting to pray, to beg God on behalf of someone else is half of the battle. It takes time. It means getting your head in the game. It means putting in the effort. And today I want to address the topic of showing up to intercede. Uh, let's talk about five reasons why sometimes we resist interceding for other people. Five reasons why we often resist interceding for people. Number one, fear of being alone with yourself. Fear of being alone with yourself. I had somebody say at the day alone with God, I didn't want to come because I just didn't want to spend so much time with me. <laughs> like God's okay, but like I, I don't want to take the time to, I don't want to, I'm afraid of what I'm going to see if I have to spend too much time with myself. You're so uncomfortable with you and it all just feels a like a little bit too much. And some of you have not interceded this week because it would require you to slow down, quiet down, and actually bring yourself into God's presence, and you just know if you do that, you're going to have to look at ugly things inside of you. A second common reason why we don't intercede, number two, is shame and guilt. We think, who am I to pray for somebody else? Yeah, this person has a need, but, but why would God listen to me? I'm not really clean enough with God to ask him to do any favors for anybody. 
Another common reason that we don't intercede is uh, we've, got, we've got too much work. I don't, I don't want to try so hard. Um, I don't have the time. Anybody said those things? I'm not going to intercede because I just don't have time and focus on other and things right now. And I would call that number three, lack of discipline. Lack of discipline. I don't want to give that effort. Like David demonstrated to us, it's taking on a burden for someone. Like you, any of you who, who took on the, the commitment of praying, it is taking on the burden of holding a burden in your heart and holding it before the Lord. And it's easy to, to say, I don't want that in my life. So a lack of discipline. Another situation is that sometimes we just say, I'm not going to, I've got too much in me. I, I'm kind of a mess. I'm just going to focus on me right now, and I'm not interested in praying for other people. I've got too many problems of my own. Anybody feel that way? And I would call that common reason immaturity. Immaturity, a self-focus, making us unable or unwilling to look at what other people are going through. A fifth reason for resistance is we just think it won't work. Prayer isn't going to make a difference. And I would call that reason ignorance. Ignorance of the authority that God has given to his sons and daughters. Ignorance of who God has designed you to be. Ignorance that God has invited you into partnership with him so that his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. It is ignorance of the power of the Holy Spirit that is available in you to partner with God for his purposes in a supernatural kind of way. So, let's address these five things with what the Bible says about them. And my goal is to address these things that hinder us from prayer. Some of these things affect us before we even begin. And one of the fascinating things about intercessory prayer is that through the power of God, it actually changes things. It actually changes things. Somehow, in God's world... (laughs) God does things like stir up seven different high school students to say, hey, I'm kind of thinking about church right now, and Zoe might be a good person for me to talk to about that. The Holy Spirit of God works through our prayers to facilitate change on this earth. But intercessory prayer does not only change things on this earth, it also changes us. Even when we're not praying for ourselves, it changes us. Okay, so let's talk about this fear of being alone with yourself. Some of you don't relate to this at all. Some of you are like, I'm very comfortable with being with myself. And, uh, but others of you know what I'm talking about when I describe this. This sense of, if I, I know if I quiet down. I know if I just get alone in God's presence, I'm going to have to deal with me. And I just don't want to. This is a sign of a disordered life. It's a warning sign to pay attention to your soul. We're addicted to noise, we are addicted to being occupied, we are addicted to technology. We can't stand sitting still in solitude. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There have been times in my life when I thought, okay, I'm supposed to have devotions, I'm supposed to go like quiet myself and like 
call myself in a room, and I just haven't wanted to, and it's been so hard. It's been such a challenge. Maybe some of you will identify with this. Henry Nowen, who is a Catholic priest and theologian, says, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. And he says bringing solitude into your life is one of the most necessary but also one of the most difficult disciplines. And so he gives this description of uh, when you enter a private room and you shut the door, or or however you quiet yourself to pray, say you shut the door and you go into a quiet space, that doesn't necessarily mean that you shut out all of the inner doubts. You might be able to shut out all the noise out there, but it doesn't mean you can shut off all the stuff in your head. One of the early Christian writers describes the first stage of solitary prayer as the experience of a man who, after years of living with open doors, suddenly decides to shut them. The visitors who used to come and enter his home at all hours of the day start pounding on his doors. Why can't we come in? Only why can't we come in? And it's only when they realize they are not welcome do they gradually stop coming. This is the experience of anyone who decides to enter into solitude after a life without much spiritual discipline. At first, the many distractions keep presenting themselves, but later, as they receive less and less attention, they slowly withdraw. If this isn't something that you struggle with and you'd like to read more, I'd like to encourage you to pick up one of the Extra Day Alone with God workbooks that we have out on the welcome table. There's an art, this article by Henry Nowen on solitude goes into more detail on that. So here's point number one. Intercessory prayer requires you to discipline your chaos. There is nothing special about this other than it is hard work. You have to make a decision. You have to make a decision to say, I am going to seek to discipline the chaos. I'm going to shut the door of my room. Anytime these intrusive thoughts come in, I'm going to keep on trying to shut them out. And no matter how many times I start over, I'm going to keep on starting over and starting over and starting over. This is what the beginning of discipline looks like. This is prayer boot camp. It's stern self-discipline. You have to wrestle down the chaos. Church, you've got to just man up and face yourself and put yourself in God's presence over and over again. And eventually, the, the visitors who come and knock on your door, eventually they'll, they'll stop bothering you like they have, and eventually you will learn to develop this kind of, of discipline that allows you to have the solitude. This is a first step toward being able to do intercession. Some of you have not been able to get past this first point to even engage with intercession this week. The second problem that we talked about was the problem of shame and guilt. People who would say, Who am I to pray? I'm not worthy. My prayers aren't good enough. I don't even know how to pray. Point number two, intercessory prayer challenges you to find God-given confidence and boldness. Intercessory prayer challenges you to find God-given confidence and boldness. Because intercessory prayer will change you if you let it. About eight years ago, I was taught a preparation prayer. It's the kind of prayer to help begin a quiet time with God. And it was, you would quiet yourself and you would present yourself to God based on Romans 12 where it says, uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so the mor- my morning prayer exercise would begin, Lord, here I am. 
I present myself as a living sacrifice to you, holy and acceptable. Here's my act of worship. And my experience that sometimes it was joy, the sense of God finds me holy, God finds me acceptable, that's amazing. And it would fill me with joy. But after a few months of that being a really cool thing in my life, I had a day where I was like, I don't feel holy at all. (laughs) I don't feel acceptable at all. In fact, I'm really crabby today. And I don't feel anything godly or spiritual about anything right now, but I guess I'm just going to pray and hope that it's okay. And, and, and I began to recognize there were more times in my life when I would come into God's presence and I didn't feel holy, I didn't feel acceptable, but this act of saying, God, I present myself to you, this is all I've got. I only have a messed up me to offer you. So I come and I, here's my messed up me. And I offer it to you as a, as I'm a living sacrifice. Make me holy. Make me acceptable to you. My point here is that God makes us holy and acceptable, and our prayers are an acceptable offering of worship to God. The Bible tells us, who are we? We are just a little lower than the angels. Hebrews 4.14 talks about the confidence we can have in God. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have such a great therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let's pause there for a minute. The point, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. We have, a, we have Jesus, who is our mediator to God, who is able to sympathize with us in all of our weakness, in all of our junk, in all of our issues, in all of our immaturity, in all of our grumpiness and irritability. We have a Jesus who has been tempted in every way, the scripture tells us. He understands us when we are in the throes of temptation and we are coming into God's presence and we're like, Boy, I sure don't feel too holy today. I don't think God's going to listen to my prayers today. We have a Jesus who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness because he too has experienced the temptation. Verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because we have this sympathizing Jesus who goes between us, we can approach God's throne with confidence. Say confidence. Confidence. We can approach God's throne with confidence. He has made a way. We can humbly come into his, comf- into his presence based on the blood of Jesus that was shed. If you're feeling unworthy or unable to be heard by God, these things are true. They are true. We are unable. We cannot come into the presence of God and still live without the mercy of Jesus. But with the mercy of Jesus and the sacrificial death of his son, we can confidently come into his presence based on the blood that was shed for us. We don't ever pray intercessory prayers to God because of our own worthiness, because we are so worthy of being heard, because we pray so well, because we're so spiritual. Our intercessory prayers are received by God because Jesus has made a way for us. Jesus is helping us in our prayers. And we, we come before him because he has made us worthy and he is the one who gives us confidence. I'm saying the intercessory prayer will change you if you let it. 
And he wants you to pray confidently and boldly too. A third area that we just talked about was perhaps it's, there's a lack of discipline. Perhaps some of you didn't engage in the prayer challenge because you're just not disciplined. You, don't, you lack the spiritual discipline to engage. And point number three here is intercessory prayer takes work. Now, I recognize this is a really unpopular point because we do not like the idea of a Christianity that takes work. We like the idea of focusing on it's a free gift. Well, salvation is a free gift for us, but it doesn't mean that we do nothing it means that we live, we then live in obedience and we live in submission and surrender to God, which is hard work. Jesus says to us how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And he says, if anyone wants to be a follower of me, let him renounce himself and take up his cross and follow me. It takes some effort on our parts. A spiritual life without discipline will never be a flourishing spiritual life. The Apostle Paul writes about Epaphras, a Christian leader and one of Paul's ministry partners. And he says in Colossians 4, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer. Did any of you who, who took this challenge last week, have you experienced, did you experience a wrestling in prayer, a, a struggling through it? He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. Epaphras, he's working hard for you. He is wrestling in prayer with you. He is sweating. He is struggling. He is exerting muscle, and he is praying hard for you. He's working hard on your behalf. Epaphras understood the significance of laboring in prayer for people. The fourth reason that we often don't engage in intercessory prayer is immaturity. Immaturity, a focus on, on me. Well, I'm not going to pray about the world because, you know, my world's a little bit bigger. I'm not going to pray for this person because I've just got to focus on me right now. Intercessory prayer is a, number four, is a profound act of love. It is a profound act of love. If you truly love someone, the best way to love them is to hold them in prayer before the Lord. If you truly do not love someone, the best way to get to loving them is to start praying for them. I received a message from our friend Bear. It's so good to have you back in church after your prolonged sickness, Bear. And he, he wrote this to me. He said I could share this. He said, I've been thinking a lot about intercessory prayer. While I've been praying for my kids and ex-wife, what I think is a wonderful but overlooked benefit of intercessory prayer is getting out of our own heads. What I mean is, I grew up as an only child. My natural state is to be self-centered and selfish. But when you pray for others or the world or anything besides yourself, and not only it takes you away from your own needs and wants, but it reminds us that if we focus on others in the world around us, I believe we're taking a huge step in realizing that God has us in his hand. There's something about intercessory prayer that gets us out of our own heads, that helps us to see a world that is much beyond our own lives. You heard this in the examples that people gave. Larry's example of, of he, he has a view not just for himself, but for his sister. Prayer gets us out of our own heads. Philippians 2.4 says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
this outward focus. John 15, 12, Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Intercessory prayer is a profound act of love. The fifth challenge, ignorance. Ignorance of your identity and authority of of who God has designed you to be. You think my prayers won't make a difference. Number five is intercessory prayer releases God's power. And we talked about this last week, that there are some things in this world that God chooses not to do. In his amazing sovereignty and in his great wisdom, there are some things that God chooses not to do in this world until he has people praying with him that they will come to happen. Intercessory prayer releases God's power. Intercessory prayer is a supernatural spiritual experience in which we are taking the human words that we have, lifting them up to the presence of God, and God taking them and doing something with them. God's plan has always been to be in partnership with people. It is how he works in this world. The establishment of the church was his idea, and he said, you are the body of Christ. You are my sons and my daughters. You are the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. You are the body. And this is how God says, I'm I'm doing my work in this world. It is through you. It is through my co-regents. I have given you authority to rule over the creation. And prayer is the way that we call out to God for this. I came across this really interesting passage in Revelation 5. I love that we uh, sang, Huisa and I didn't plan this. This is just like cool how God does this, but we sang this song a little bit ago. It was, um, You Are Worthy of It All. Actually, I don't remember which one it was. It was either that one or the one before. But it was the one that talks about uh, incense. Uh, take our incense. Take our, we lift up our incense. We lift up our incense. Now, if you didn't know the scriptural context of that song, you might not know. You're like, what are we talking about? Why are you talking about incense in here? But it's, It's coming from the book of Revelation in which incense is this, well, actually, it's through the scriptures, but incense is the symbol of the prayers of the saints being lifted up to heaven. Now, some of you might remember a year ago, we did a series on the tabernacle and we talked about the altar of incense and how when the incense was was burning, it was wafting up an aroma to heaven and it represented the prayers of the people being lifted up to God and God receiving their prayers. If you were here for the Christmas Eve production, we had Zechariah the priest, a.k.a. Ben Crocker, and we, we lit incense. And Zechariah the priest, the scripture says in, in the nativity story about Jesus, he was chosen by lot to go into the temple and to serve at the altar of incense. And so uh, we, we, had, we had the table up here. We had like the, the whole menorah. We had the whole like everything. And, and they lit the, the incense to represent the prayers of the people going up. And it was there that Zechariah then encounters the angel, and God says, you and your wife, even though you're elderly, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be John the Baptist. And, and so there's this scriptural theme all the way through of the, the altar of incense and the prayers of incense being the prayers of the people wafting up to heaven. I stumbled across this passage in Revelation this week. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, here's the line, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, 
which are the prayers of the saints. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Then we skip ahead a few chapters to Revelation chapter 8, verse 3, and we read, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. There came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Dudley Hall, in his book, Incense and Thunder, says, here's a picture of what prayer looks like in heaven. It looks like incense going up before the altar of God, and every time we pray, an angel of God takes the bowl of incense in his hand, which is our prayers, he takes fire from the altar of God and mixes it in, and then he flings it back to the earth, and it enters the earth's atmosphere as spiritual thunder, lightning, and earthquakes. Isn't that cool? It's this visual picture of our prayers going to heaven and then being consumed with the fire of God and then coming back on us in spiritual power in a way that we cannot manipulate ourselves, in a way that we cannot fully understand. We cannot fully conceive the spiritual impact of our labor and intercessory prayer. And I firmly believe that those who are committed to laboring and intercessory prayer, you have no idea of what the fruit will be. And someday when you get to heaven, you will see the effect and the impact of your labor and intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer will change you if you let it. You must discipline your chaos. It will help you find your God-given confidence and boldness. It will take work. It is a profound act of love. And it releases God's power. And church, I want you to dig in. I want you to engage in boot camp. I want you to give it some effort, give it some time. I want you to deal with yourself. I want you to deal with your insecurities and immaturities, your self-centeredness. I want you to come to God in your weakness. And I want you to engage in this boot camp and see what God does. I want to close with a story. Uh, Tony Campolo is a preacher, and he was getting ready to preach at a Pentecostal college chapel service. They had a prayer time together. Eight men gathered around him and laid hands on him in a back room. They said, we want you to kneel. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you. And so they prayed. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they kept praying. And it was a long prayer. And he's like, when is this going to end? Like, I've got to go preach in chapel. Like, this is taking a long time. And he writes in the story, to make things even worse, one of the men who was there praying wasn't even praying about the chapel service. He, was, he started praying about some, some man by the name of Charlie Stoltzfus. And this, this guy started to pray, Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer. Lord, it's just down the road, on the right-hand side. And Tony Campolo's like, why is he giving God directions? God knows where this guy lives. Like, is that really necessary? And the guy keeps praying, Lord, Charlie told me this morning that he's going to leave his wife and his three kids. Lord, step in and do something. God, bring that family back together. Well, the prayer time eventually came to an end. The chapel service came about. Tony Campolo delivered his message, and he got in his car to drive home. 
And as he drove onto the Pennsylvania Turnpike, he saw a hitchhiker. And he tells the story. We drove a few minutes, and then I said, Hi, I'm Tony Campolo. What's, what's your name? And the man said, My name is Charlie Stoltzfus. I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and started heading back. The man got a bit uneasy with that, and after a few minutes, he said, Hey, mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked, Why? I said, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? That blew him away. Yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off of me. Then I really did him in as I drove right to his silver trailer because I knew exactly where to go. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge, and he asked, how did you know that I lived here? I said, God told me. When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down, I'm going to talk, and you two are going to listen. Man, did they listen. That afternoon, I led those two people to Jesus Christ. We pray for other people because prayer is our way of partnering with God in this work of redemption and restoration and new life that God is doing on this world. Without prayer, we miss out on on what God is doing. We pray because prayer changes things. And it's time for us to report for duty. It's time for us to enter into prayer boot camp. You may be new at prayer. You may be seasoned in prayer. But God is calling you to something deeper. He's calling you to grow stronger, to grow more spiritually resilient, to be battle-ready, to develop spiritual muscle, to engage with him in the critical work that is the most important thing of our existence. Worship team, you can come on up. We're going to sing a song in, in just a moment to close out the service, but I want to once again ask you, church, to ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to pray this week? Lord, I want you to deepen me. I want you to change me. I want you to develop me for your sake and for your kingdom. Ask the Lord how he would like you to intercede this week. Just choose one thing and commit to interceding every single day. And just like I said last week, I don't want you to just pray once a day. I want you to labor over it. As Andrea, as Andrea gave an example of when I went to music class, I prayed for their music class. When I went to lunch, I prayed for their lunch. Pray throughout the day at multiple times. That's what it means to hold this burden in prayer for each other. I want you to pray for the same thing that, you, that God gave you last week unless he's directing you to pray for something different or unless, uh, uh, yeah, unless he's directing you elsewhere. But here's the thing that I want to change for this week. This week, I want to add accountability to it because this is boot camp. And we don't change unless we've got a little bit of heat under us because we're stubborn. So in just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and I, I want to encourage you to go back to the table that we had last week. It's, it's back up there again, and write down the word of the phrase of the thing that the Lord wants you to pray about. If it's the same thing as, as last week, that's fine. You can go ahead and write that again. But for the accountability piece, here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit to a form of accountability before you leave this room today. Commit to having some kind of accountability. Here are two options. Number one, Find someone here in this room to be your accountability partner. And you agree with each other, hey, we're going to talk to each other at least once a day and just remind each other to pray. You can just say, hey, remember to pray. It can be simple. It could be a text. 
You don't have to have a whole long conversation if you don't want to. But find somebody in this room before you leave today who will be that for you. Another accountability option is to take a communication card. It's a little card on the seat near you. And write the word prayer on it. Include your name, include your phone number. And we'll put you on a group a, a, a church text. Don't worry, it's not like a group text. People can't respond to it, but it's a push notification. And we'll send you a text reminder two times a day, morning and evening, that will say, pause to pray. And then that's your cue. Oh yeah, here's my little alarm clock. I'm going to pause to pray right now. Will you please stand? We're going to sing this song together. Make your way to the table. If you need to go talk to somebody in this room to find an accountability partner, do that while we're singing the song. Fill out that communication card, whichever way you want to do, and then you'll drop that communication card on that table as you walk out today or give it to the people at the welcome table. Let's worship together.